Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, good afternoon. If we've not met before, my name's Andy. I'll be around after. I'd love to meet you uh, after our service. Thank you all so much for being here and uh, making space for this. Uh, It's a joy for me to introduce our guest speaker to you. His name is Alexander Venter. He is from South Africa, and he is what we would call a vineyard legend. He's been around the vineyard a long, long time. He has planted and led four different churches Yes, uh, he, so he's a church planter, pastor, and preacher. He also is a theologian and author, I think six books so far, yeah. Um, uh, he is married to Jill. They have two adult children and one grandchild. And um, uh, Alexander uh, now is living uh, just north of Durban, uh, and I'm told it's, what, 30-some degrees there? 32 degrees today? We're not jealous at all, are we? Um, and uh, Alexander spends his time writing and coaching leaders and traveling around the world, uh, speaking and things like that. And he has most recently been in New Zealand and Australia amongst the vineyard churches there, and then in Scotland amongst the vineyard there. He did a one-day stop over in England, and then he's come here to us. And the leaders of the Irish vineyard churches all gathered together this week and did a retreat uh, in the wilds uh, near Enniskillen. And uh, Alexander uh, blessed us with his teaching and ministry there, and we are really, really blessed to have him here. And so Alexander is going to come and preach. And one of the things um, I love and respect most about Alexander is he doesn't just teach and preach about the kingdom of God. Um, He has really lived it. One of the church plants um, that he and his wife were a part of in South Africa, uh, folks from kind of white uh, Johannesburg, Uh, joined together with folks from one of the townships called Soweto, and they planted a church called Joweto, uh, where it was in the days of apartheid, when an act like that was unheard of, uh, required immense courage and vision, and was powerfully, powerfully prophetic. And so he's a man that doesn't just teach about the kingdom, he has lived the kingdom. And uh, we are really, really fortunate to have him with us here this afternoon. So would you please warmly welcome Alexander. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for the welcome and the introduction. Good morning, everyone. Uh, and he didn't mention that I've been to, to Ireland or Northern Ireland before. 2003, we were trying to work it out. Um, brought a team from Johannesburg and Soweto, our little Joweto community or congregation um, of blacks and whites. We came to do a reconciliation conference with you guys back in 2003. And you guys initiated that and invited us. And we had Catholic and Protestant and uh, 
back then and it's my second time to be back. So it's really a joy and a privilege. And being at the retreat, um, traveling through all the little lanes uh, to Enniskillen. Have I got it right? And, uh, and all the green paddocks and with white dots on full of sheep and different animals. And I mean, it's just beautiful. So I have thoroughly enjoyed my time. And it's an honor to be with you this morning and to share God's word. Thank you for the invitation, Andy and Harmony. And I just bless you. You guys are honored to have good, faithful leaders. They've walked a long obedience in the same direction over many years, planting and pastoring this church and being faithful shepherds of God's sheep. And um, let me tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come. And he just took me briefly to the new facility that's being renovated. Um, and it's really exciting. The possibilities and stuff there. Even I, from a distance from South Africa, got excited. <laughs> and I started to see things. And I thought, well, why don't you change this and do that? But I thought, I'm, I'm a guest, I, I'm a visitor. Over the years of planting <clears throat> four churches and growing them and raising up leaders and after about a 10-year average tenure in each church handing over to the next generation, I've had the opportunity of doing three building projects in those processes, buying land, building, so I know what you guys are going through, and the Lord bless you, and it's exciting times. And once you're in that new facility, I really think you will experience a, a real season of blessing and growth. May that be beyond your wildest expectations in Jesus' name. I want to just share briefly on the story of the vineyard. For many, you may not know the background story of the vineyard, but it has meaning and importance because the name vineyard has a prophetic destiny and was given by God to a guy called Ken Gullickson in Southern California who planted a church and asked the Lord what would the name of the church be. And the Lord very clearly gave him a text from Isaiah and said the name will be Vineyard. And then John Wimber, who had been a, a Quaker church pastor, John and Carol Wimber, left the Quaker church, teamed up with a guy called Chuck Smith and planted a church called um, Calvary Chapel. Then he met... Joni and Ken Gullickson, who had been underway for a couple of years and had already planted out two or three other churches, and felt that the Lord said to them, give the name Vineyard to John and Carol Wimber, because God's called them to lead the vineyard as, an, as a church planting movement. And, and uh, John and Carol prayed about it. They received it as from the Lord. And so the change happened, and I was privileged and honored to work with John Wimber in 1982 for eight months in Southern California when it was still cost, um, Calvary Chapel and at the time of the changeover of the name to Vineyard Christian Fellowship. And about 15 years ago in South Africa, I, the Vineyard in South Africa was going through the, our own journey and I felt the Lord gave me, brought this all back to mind and said, the importance of the name Vineyard as an identity with a prophetic destiny. Preach on that, teach on that. So in our national leadership team once I shared this and the Lord used it to really stir our hearts. 
And I haven't shared on it since, when, uh, until I was a couple of weeks back in New Zealand at the national conference, uh, prompted to do that, and then New Zealand, and I asked Andy if it would be okay if, if I'd share this with you now. So as you all know, <clears throat> or I hope you do know, names are important. And biblically, or in Semitic usage, names have meaning because names have insight into the nature and the character Names describe that, and often prophetic destiny. And I don't want to go into the background, uh, um, but I think you will accept that. And therefore, um, vineyard has a specific meaning and destiny. I was called by nickname in South Africa. Nicknames are quite common, and at the age of 13, I was given a nickname that went with me all the way through to the age of 26, 27. And uh, it was an uncertain identity that was given to me that I didn't live that well with. And then one day I asked my mom and dad about my own birth name, Alexander Ferdinand Fenter. <laughs> whoa, that sounds like, whoa. <laughs> and, and, and when they explained to me why they gave me those names, why they chose those names, and I looked up the etymology and the meaning of the names, and uh, I really felt, I had like a spiritual experience where the Lord t- t- said to me, embrace your identity and life purpose from, from conception and not only from the age of 13 and throw off that nickname identity that was given to you and embrace who you really are under God's sovereignty my parents who were not Christians chose names for me that had profound meaning for me. And I've re-embraced the name. So when people short my name to Alex, I gently pray for them and rebuke them. <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't want it shortened. It's a bit pedantic, long name, Alexander. But um, it has deep personal meaning for me um, to live into that prophetic destiny that God gave me sovereignly through my parents. So likewise with the vineyard, and by God's sovereign design, we have found ourselves in a local church and in a family of churches that is actually international, in over 100 nations planting churches, called vineyard. What is the meaning of that name? And what what meaning does it have for us here this morning and your future journey, not only in Belfast, but in this whole island called Ireland. I never thought that one before. That was by revelation I said that. <laughs> so just to introduce what I'm saying is in Isaiah chapter 27 verse 2. This is the text God gave Ken Gullickson. And it says, in that day, which is a common phrase in Isaiah, in the day of the Lord when, when his kingdom comes, his Messiah comes, in that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. And when Ken Gullickson read that, he knew the name of the church was Vineyard. And whenever vineyard is mentioned in the Bible, it's always about fruitfulness or lack thereof. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, or Yahweh, watch over it. I water it continually, and I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. And that's beautiful. God watches over the vineyard. He waters it continually, and he guards it. And then down in verse 6 is the, is the fulfillment of that introductory verse, that in the days to come, 
In other words, when Messiah comes, in the days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom and will fill all the world with fruit. The destiny of the vineyard is to fill all the world with fruit, with God's fruit. And God gave birth. So the background, and as I think as teachers, preachers, we need to do a homework and just not take a text and use it as a pretext to say what we want it to say. But we're going to look at the context as to what it means back then, then what it applies to us here today. So very briefly, Isaiah chapter 5 is the longer text on the vineyard. And Isaiah basically says, I want to sing a song to my loved one who's speaking about God, the one whom I love, who, 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 who had a field on a hill. We're next to the hill. I saw a hill behind us, cave hill, and um, fertile hill, took out all the rocks, planted a vineyard, built a tower to watch it, etc. But then eventually, when the Lord went to look for fruit, and of course, he's talking about Israel. God chose Israel as to be his vineyard with a particular destiny to bring the faith of Yahweh to all the scattered nations of the Tower of Babel, to all the Goyim, the Gentiles. And the sad story is that Israel did not produce the fruit that God intended as his vineyard. And therefore, through constant warnings of the prophets and Israel's ongoing idolatry, judgment came upon Israel and that vineyard was basically destroyed. And in other words, Israel was sent into exile. So you had the exile under Nebuchadnezzar, the northern kingdom, and then the, the kingdom of Judah went, went into exile. But God always gives the promise of restoration. And chapter 27 of Isaiah is the promise of restoration out of exile that is the completion of the story of chapter 5. That God will come and Israel again will take root and God will replant the vineyard and it will bear much fruit and God will watch over it and will water it and will, and will guard it so that it, its fruit will eventually fill the whole earth. Now Jesus of Nazareth, in <clears throat> born 6 or 7 BC, began his ministry in 26-27 AD and was crucified in AD 30, and then his followers exploded under the power of the Holy Spirit and began to basically gossip the gospel. You know, you mustn't gossip, but one thing you can gossip is the gospel. They just went about speaking of Jesus and his kingdom under the commission and the mandate to go to the ends of the earth and to fill the whole earth with God's fruit. And so Jesus, as a young rabbi, 30-year-old rabbi, when he began his ministry, had already studied the Hebrew Scriptures in his 30 hidden years of formation in Nazareth when he worked in his father's um, carpentry business and grew up under his father's apprenticeship. Jesus was steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures. And through understanding and studying and memorizing and meditating on the Hebrew Scriptures and praying about them, He at some point in his developing consciousness as a young boy felt deeply uh, encountered by God with a conviction that he was the one of whom the prophets spoke. 
that God's promise to Israel, that God will come to Israel in her exile and will restore her, and then God will become her shepherd. God will become her king through his Messiah and will restore Israel. And Jesus really believed that he was the one, that he was God's Messiah, born to be Messiah. And in so doing, he reinterprets the parable of the vineyard. And it's really quite profound because it has meaning for us within the vineyard, um, in the vineyard, this movement of churches called the vineyard. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is called the Synoptic Gospels, was they similar? He tells the parable of the vineyard to the Jews of his day and especially the leaders of his day, whereby he says that um, there was an owner who had a, a wonderful vineyard and gave it out to tenants. And the listeners would have understood the tenants. Jesus would be talking about Israel. The tenants uh, who would be accountable to the owner of the vineyard would be the leaders of Israel at the time. And then the owner sent messengers to get the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants killed the, the messengers. I don't know if you guys remember that. You do remember the stories of the Bible. You, you've seen a book. It's, it's called the Bible. You do read it from time to time. <laughs> I'm being naughty. <clears throat> I've learned with the Irish people. I mean, this retreat, it, it, it was a laugh a minute. <laughs> the Irish really laugh a lot. Especially some of the women, they laughed. It was even, even the Holy Spirit had to learn from them how to laugh. But still, don't lead yourself astray, Alexander. Get back to the point. So, the prophets that God sent to Israel found no fruit. And they were killed by the leaders of Israel in each generation at the time. And eventually the owner said, you know, I'll send my son. <laughs> and surely, surely they will respect my son. And through him, they'll respect me. And they'll give him the fruit that I'm looking for. And when the son came, the tenants acted as proprietors of the, of the vineyard and said, we, own, we are owners of the vineyard. We're not giving him the fruit. And they actually killed the son. And Jesus basically said, I know you guys are going to reject me and kill me because you didn't know the time of God's visitation to you. And Jesus says, the kingdom will be taken from you and will be given to another people who will produce its fruit. And again, vineyard, fruitfulness. It's always about fruitfulness. And the people to whom God would give the kingdom through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, God's son, is both Jews and Gentiles reconciled in a new Israel of the new covenant. Because Israel of the old covenant failed to fulfill her calling and destiny to bring the faith of Yahweh to the nations. So Israel was destined to be a nation of priests, to minister to God on behalf of the nations, and to minister to the nations on behalf of God. There was to be a, pro a nation of prophets to speak God's word to Israel and a nation of kings to bring the kingdom of God to all the nations. But as prophet, prophet, priest, and king, they failed. So Jesus took upon himself the belief and the deep sense of calling that he embodied Israel and was the true new Israel. And where Israel failed, Jesus obeyed and succeeded. 
And he did for Israel what Israel could not do for herself. And so Jesus then interprets these parables and Israel's destiny in and through himself and his community of followers who put their faith into him. So in those days, when Jesus preached the kingdom of God in Israel, wherever he went, uh, if if people said, Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, I believe your message, I believe what you're teaching about the kingdom of God, and if what you're saying is true, what must I do? And Jesus would say, well, if you believe in me, follow me. Follow me. And he had a a mobile community and many other followers at different levels of relational commitment and engagement with his kingdom movement. And so Jesus then, um, in John's gospel, takes the vineyard imagery and metaphor to a new level compared to what Matthew, Mark, and Luke say. And in, in John chapter 15 is the real fulfillment of this, I, this, this prophetic destiny of being vineyard. And it speaks to us personally. So what I want to do is, um, according, I've got about 10 minutes, according to my watch. I want to use the last 10 minutes for the most important part of this message. So John chapter 15, from verse 1 down to verse 8, is Jesus' explanation of the new true vine and vineyard in him. Then verse 9 to verse 17 is his interpretation of the first eight verses. So the first eight verses is his like parable and explanation of the, of the true vineyard. And, the, and then the last eight verses is his explanation of the fruit of the vineyard. So basically he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And it was his basic, in the hearing of the Jewish ears of his day, historically, back then, they, when Jesus said, I am the true vine, they would have immediately gone back to Isaiah, chapter 5, chapter 27. Informed Jews would have gone to Psalm 80. They would have gone to Jeremiah, who also has a comment on the vineyard. And they would have said, wow. Um, well, in Hebrew, they would have said, oi vey, rabbi, what are you saying? <clears throat> that you are the true Israel. When he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener, not the tenants of the leaders of the Sanhedrin who collaborate with the Roman occupation and are going to reject me and kill me. But my father cultivates the vineyard, the true vineyard. I am the true vineyard. I'm the true vine. And all who put their faith into me are like the branches that abide and are joined to me, abide in me. And because they are put their faith into me and follow me, my followers, my life that comes from the Father through me, the sap will flow into them and they will produce the intended fruit of the vineyard that God prophesied from Isaiah and Psalm 80 and Jeremiah. And all who do not put their faith into me are like the branches of the vineyard that don't produce fruit and the gardener will come and cut off those branches and will, avenge, and will burn them. 
which is the Israel, the unbelieving Israel, who did not believe in Jesus and rejected him, basically, as a false messiah, false prophet, false messiah. And they fell under the judgment of God in AD 70 when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And Josephus says that over a million Jews were killed in that war in AD 70. And Jesus gave, God gave a a 40-year window of repentance to the nation of Israel as, as a national people from Jesus' crucifixion in 30 AD to 70 AD of repentance. And those that didn't repent and put their faith into Jesus as Messiah came under judgment. And, but the essence of what he says from verse 1 is simply this. And le- to save time, I'm not going to read it because I'm going to do the interpretation. It's simply this. Those who truly abide in me produce much fruit. Those who are in me and abide in me produce much fruit. And the word abide is the old King James Bible. I was raised as a teenager. I got born again in a Baptist church, and I was given a King James Bible, and I was raised on the King James. And you know the old language King James. It always makes me think of, think of the old hymn we used to sing, Abide in me. That's the bass version. <laughs> I, I could go a little higher than that. But the word in the Greek is meno. And it's a very powerful word. Jesus uses meno 11 times in these verses. 11 times. It's the, it's, it is the key to this whole text. And, and meno means to make your home in. To dwell in. To abide in. It's this... It's this intimacy of union and communion through which his life by his spirit flows into us and through us producing the intended fruit of the kingdom. And those who produce fruit by virtue of being in Christ, not just born again or putting your faith into Jesus, but as a follower of Jesus, you imbibe Jesus and you study Jesus and you fall in love with Jesus, and you use this little booklet. Oh, I just forget, now that I'm walking out of the camera, I'm online as well. Greetings to all the people online. It's a little bit late in the day to say greetings, but nevertheless. But it's using this booklet, How to Spend Time with Jesus. That is a wonderful, well-laid-out booklet. I had time to read it. And you know, every day, spending time with Jesus and following these simple steps and practicing this, that is abiding in Jesus. That is developing intimacy with Jesus through which then just naturally spiritual health comes and fruitfulness flows. And when you produce fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of Christ that Paul talks about, in your life, God actually prunes you back so that you might bear more fruit. And there is this paradox in the kingdom. The more fruitful you are for God, the more you will encounter challenges that God uses to actually deepen your dependence on him. Because without him, you can literally do nothing. Jesus says, those who are not in me and and those who don't really menno in me, make their home in me, can do nothing, let alone try to produce fruit. And Jesus himself 
subjectively, he wasn't teaching a theological concept. He was speaking from personal life experience because he said, although I am the son of God, he says earlier in John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, although I am the son of God, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Only what I see my father doing, that's what I do. Only what I hear my father saying, that's what I say. Jesus lived in a profound, intimate relationship with God as his Abba, as his daddy, as his dad. And through meditation and prayer and silence, and, and, and he developed this mystical union with God, whereby he lived in the presence of God, from the presence of God, bringing the presence of God to all those around him. And that this intuitive union led to such fruit whereby he only did what he saw his father doing and he only spoke what he heard his father saying. This is what Jesus is pointing to for you and me. With him, by his Holy Spirit. And so then his interpretation is this. In verse nine, there are five aspects of fruit that we produce as vineyard by abiding in Christ, minnowing in Christ, growing this depth of intimacy and total and full reliance for the whole of your life and being in Christ. The first one is, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. The first fruitfulness that we produce is the love of Jesus. What happens is, the more you walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, become intimate with Jesus in ever-growing depth of relational unity and love, the more you begin to love with Jesus' love, and the more you become a person of love, just as Jesus was a person of love. And he's talking from subjective lived experience as My father has loved me. I've so experienced my father's love as my Abba. And I just just I just know the Father loves me so much. And his love in me overflows through me, and I've loved you with my father's love. As my father has loved me, so have I loved you. And the word as in the Greek kathos is a very powerful word. It means both the standard of love, but also the source of love. It is the measure of love, but it's also the means of love. God doesn't call us to a standard of love without giving us the means to love up to that standard. God doesn't give us um, um, a requirement that he does not enable us to, to fulfill, and it's his indwelling presence by the Holy Spirit that is a subjective experience Progressive experience of love of God that when I reach the end of my loving, I tap into a deeper reservoir where I begin to love with his love because my love has limits. Love for myself is broken. Remember, love one another as you love yourself. The old commandment in Leviticus 19.18. Love one another, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Self-love is notoriously faulty. But some people... Or let me not say some. Well, I'm talking to the Irish, so it's some. In South Africa, it's most. (laughs) People are broken, 
And self-love is deeply broken, and there's a lot of self-rejection, even self-hatred and body rejection. And if I had to measure my love for you by my love for myself, then you're in serious trouble. (laughs) Jesus does a whole operating systems upgrade. He says, love one another not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. And his love for us is the Father's love for him that transforms us and teaches us to love with his love, which is an eternal reservoir that will never run dry. The first fruit of being in the vineyard, of being a true vineyard, (laughs) of living the prophetic destiny of our name that God sovereignly gave to Ken Galixin and Wimber, of which we have somehow become a part in this, a part of the vineyard in, in this journey. The first fruit is the love of Jesus. Because by this will all people know that you are my disciples. This, the second one is if you obey my commands, You will remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commands and I remain in his love. The second fruit is the obedience of Jesus. You know, if you truly love someone, you want to please them and obey them, right? And the more you obey them, the more you cultivate and nurture love for them. And there's this relationship, especially in John's gospel, if you love me, you'll obey me. Because you are loved, you will naturally obey And so, the obedience of Jesus. And I'm just saying, dear friends, cultivate implicit obedience to God whenever the Holy Spirit in you prompts you to do something that God is showing you to do. And if you obey, you will develop this deep love relationship and you will see the kingdom come. Because Jesus taught his followers to pray. And I love the worship all the little liturgical touches on the worship, I noticed. <laughs> Honor you and salute you. Praying, not the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, because he gave it to us to pray. He prayed it, but he taught us to pray. How, what must we pray daily? Our daily prayers, Lord, let your kingdom come. And what does that mean? It's interpreted by the very next phrase. In Hebrew poetry, it's called a parallelism. The first statement is repeated in different words in the second statement that interpret the, the first statement. Let your kingdom come means let your will be done on earth as in heaven. And the first piece of earth where God's will is done when I pray that prayer is here, is me. I can't pray... Oh, Lord, you know, here am I, but send Andy. (laughs) Like Isaiah, here am I, but send someone else. No, here am I, let it start here. Obedience is when you get off your throne and let Jesus be on your throne and that actually you learn to obey him and do his will on earth as in heaven. The third one is the joy of Jesus because he says, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know that Jesus was a positively joyous person. And God's intention is for you to be happy. Happiness generally is circumstantially dependent. But joy is a conditioning of the heart that is an ongoing fountain of strength from God 
despite whatever circumstance you find yourself in. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And God wants you to become a totally joyous person. And the third fruit of abiding in the vine, the third fruit of being true vineyard, is to become a truly joyous people with the joy of Jesus. The fourth fruit is down in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what the master's the master's business, instead I've called you friends, because everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. So the, the fourth one is the friendship of Jesus, the fourth fruit. God's intention for us is to become most intimate friends, whereby he discloses all the secrets of his heart, just as he did to Jesus, his son. There was such intimacy between the father and the son that the father just revealed to Jesus all that the father was doing and the and the son worked with the father doing what the father was doing that same relationship he gives to us <laughs> when god sighs <sighs> who will go for us look at the need in the world whom shall we send and isaiah overhears god and he hears god's sigh and he said here am i send andy no no he said here am i send me you know, we, we hear God's sighs, like John, the beloved. We put our head on Jesus' breast, and we hear his heartbeat. And he discloses to us all that's in his heart, all his deepest feelings, his longings, his vision for the earth, his vision for Ireland, his vision for what God wants to do in this area and from this area to the whole island and to the ends of the earth because the destiny of the vineyard is to fill the earth with fruit. And the last one is the authority of Jesus because he ends up saying that um, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit and much fruit and that your fruit will last and then whatever you ask for in my name, the Father will do it to you. So whatever, whenever we pray in the name of Jesus, that phrase is in the authority of, exercising the authority of. So it's the fruit of the love of Jesus that grows in us. It's the fruit of the obedience of Jesus. We incrementally become more and more obedient doing God's will on earth as in heaven. It's the fruit of the joy of Jesus that overtakes us and completes us. And it's the fruit of the friendship of Jesus whereby this, we begin to know all that God is doing in any given situation, at any given time, with any given person. And we think what God would think and feel what God would feel and say what God would say and do what God would do. That's becoming godly or Christ-like. Would you like to just become just a little bit more like Jesus? If you do, your wife will thank God forever. <laughs> Believe you me. And maybe your husband might also thank God forever. And then the last one is those translate into effective authority in real terms in our living and in our speaking and in our doing. Not a notional authority whereby we use the name of Jesus, but our words are empty and have no effect. When Jesus said to the storm, quiet, the storm obeyed. When Jesus said to demons, go, the demons obeyed. He operated in divine authority. 
And that authority he gives to us in his name. The degree of integrity of our union and intimacy with Jesus will determine the authority in which you live and operate in real terms. That is the fruit of the vineyard. And may I be almost bordering on presumption to say, by God's sovereign design in human history, he called a man, Ken Galixon, and he planted a church, and they planted two or three other churches, gave them the name Vineyard, and then gave it to Wimba. And I became, in the early days, I joined up from an Assemblies of God pastor with the Vineyard, and I've been with the Vineyard ever since. And I keep asking myself, God, what is the destiny of the Vineyard? Why did you give this name Vineyard? And it is simply that we bear God's fruit. And we bear the fruit to the ends of the earth. The Lord watches over you, O fruitful vineyard, Belfast vineyard. (laughs) The Lord waters you continually, and the Lord guards you so that you may produce fruit to the ends of the earth. Let's stand. May I have the privilege of blessing you and praying. If you wouldn't mind, as just as an outward symbol of vulnerability, hold your hands open before God. I bless you with the fruit of the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about. I bless you with the fruit of the vine. In the name of Jesus. I bless you with the words that I've preached and taught this morning. May it become a reality in this church. And in your own lives personally, may it become a reality. When we speak, we learn afterwards to apply it and to bless it. So I bless you with the reality of which I have taught this morning. In the name of Jesus. So Holy Spirit come and confirm your word with signs and wonders following. Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe upon us. Let your power fall, Lord. Minister to each person as they have need, because you know each person here this, um, today. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord. And you know, immediately a phrase comes into my mind, which I believe the Holy Spirit is giving me, is that some of you really need a baptism of God's love because you've been deeply rejected and you don't like yourself and it's hard to live with yourself. And God wants to reveal his love to you. And equally, on the back of that comes another phrase. God wants to give some of you a baptism of joy. Because there is sadness and grief locked up in some, of, in some people here this morning. You know, sadness, grief. After COVID, many people have died. In South Africa, it's in the high numbers. Grief, sadness, pain can lock itself in your body. And God wants to fill you with joy, healing, liberating joy. 
God wants to pour his love into some and heal rejection, broken self-image, worthlessness, a deep inner sense of worthlessness. And I feel God's telling me, again, there is abuse here. Some of you have suffered from deep, painful abuse in the past that still leaves its mark on you today. And God wants to heal you from that abuse. Emotional, verbal, and even physical and sexual. Come, Lord, and heal now in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.